This is So What Does Judaism Say About? A podcast where we discuss all kinds of life's issues and how Judaism relates to them. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the enlightening Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. So let's take it away here, right? We got a big holiday coming up. Pretty exciting. Tis the season. Tis the season. <laughs> but I wanted to talk today about Hanukkah. What does Judaism say about Hanukkah? I know what Macy's says about Hanukkah, but what does Judaism say? Uh, well, the most important thing is to give gifts. Oh, okay. Well, actually, more important is to get gifts. Oh, okay. Yeah, Even better. That's that's the primary purpose of right. the holiday. Right. Excellent. Then we're all on the same page. All right, great. You know, crass uh, commercialization of holidays. But Jewish holidays always have a whole lot of great and deep philosophical depth. So let's talk about the depth of Hanukkah. Absolutely. So Hanukkah is seen primarily as a victory of Judaism over cultures which viewed them as adversaries. So we have Hanukkah as a clash between the Hellenistic Greek culture and the traditional Jewish culture, which culminated in a Jewish military victory, which allowed the Jewish people, the the country of Israel, to be independent from outside influence and allow them to follow their own culture. So primarily, the primary focus is not actually the military victory. The very word Hanukkah means Hanu Chafei, we rested on the 25th day of the month, of the month of Kislev, denoting that the essence wasn't that demonstration of how militarily advanced the Jewish people were, but the fact that they were able to push out the outside influences away and assert their own culture and do as they wanted to do. Right, and this exile, this battle takes place in the land of Israel, which is unique to this battle for the Jewish people. Yeah. Unlike when we went to Babylon or we went to Persia or currently where you're in a diaspora, this diasporatic state takes place actually in Israel. Sure, yeah. And so just getting back to your, to your point, kind of wrapping this together, the, the, um, in, in the book of Daniel, in the prophets, there's a vision of, of various nations that would enslave the Jewish people, and the Greeks are represented by the leopard. The leopard is a very swift and cunning animal. And the Greeks are this nation which was always respected by traditional Jewish thought as being a very intellectually advanced nation. Right. And as the uh, Medrash writes, Ain Gibar Meskana El Abagibar Shekamoso, a strong or powerful person or force, is only jealous of an opposing similar powerful or strong force. So the Greeks had this kind of animosity towards Jewish culture because they're this very advanced culture. The Jews are this very advanced culture. Yet the Jews have this, from the Greeks, Greek perspective, this kind of annoying habit of attaching uh, intellectual advancement to morals and spirituality and God. They're like, and, and meaning and the right and wrong and all those right, things. Right, and they're like, let's, let's, let's separate the two. Let's just make it about, about the intellect. And the Jewish people, and the Greek people, did not wish to physically harm the Jewish people. They just wanted to force their ideology on the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were able to um, throw the Greeks out of, the, out, out of, out of, out of power and, and assert their own independence. Um, and this is symbolized by the menorah. The menorah is the object in the temple, which is the symbolism of wisdom. The seven branches of the menorah represent the traditional seven branches of wisdom that exist in the world. The um, you know, Jewish literature is replete with references to wisdom relating to the menorah. We have uh, mitzvah is called a candle. Torah, the wisdom of Torah, is called light. We have uh, the idea that that a, that a people that are careful about 
the concepts of Shabbat candles and menorah have children that are scholarly. We have references in, in, in the sages to the shape of the menorah as being euphemisms for, for beautiful thoughts and, and, and deep ideas. Uh, olive oil is considered a traditional way to enhance one's memory. Right. So disclaimer here, the, the, the menorah in the temple, which was lit during the, Han, during the Hanukkah miracle, was olive oil. It's not oil, like it's olive oil. Yeah. You would even eat That's in a specific. salad. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that the miracle of Hanukkah is represented and the object, the mitzvah we do to remember the story of Hanukkah is not with a sword, but is with the menorah that they were able to find oil, uh, even though the Greeks had to file the temple, they were able to find oil that was still fit to be lit and they only found a small amount, and it burnt for eight days, is symbolic of the fact that the primary goal that we're remembering, we're tapping into in, in, in remembering the Hanukkah victory, is the wisdom that the menorah represents. Right. And that battle for the Jewish people, it's so interesting, because the other nations that conquer Israel or battle with Israel, Babylon, Persia, these different battles, those are not necessarily beliefs that we share with those nations. The Ju Ju Judaism doesn't posit we need to be warriors. Judaism doesn't posit that we should be, you know, the most hedonistic uh, party animals like the Persians were. But we do posit that we are wise and we do seek wisdom. So that really does create this clash where the Greeks say, well, one second, that's our thing. Exactly. And, and the idea that the Greek language is considered by one opinion in the Talmud as the only language which is suitable to translate the Torah into. You know, so, so there was really a recognition that the Greeks were an advanced culture. They, they were very much respected by the Jewish people. But the concept of, the, of Judaism of taking that wisdom and attaching it to elevating humanity is something which was a clash of cultures. But this would make Hanukkah seem like a very elitist holiday. So if you're a scholar, if you're a wise person, you know, if you're a person that, you know, is... is Seeking wisdom, you know, with large, with a, you know, with with a large time commitment, like so, Hanukkah is for you. It doesn't sound like a very populist holiday, you know, because if it's a clash of intellect, so only the intellectual would really appreciate this. And yet we know Hanukkah is putting all the Macy's jokes aside. Something which is a very special holiday for the children. It's a very ho special holiday for simple people. So, so like, what is their, what is the contribution of what we'll call the, you know, the regular folk? to the holiday of Hanukkah? Like, how do they add to this reassertion of, you know, getting back to real and true Jewish values? So the, uh, there's an interesting source, the, the Bach, uh, the Beis Chadash, which is a, uh, one of, an early commentator on the tour. This is a basic halachic textbook written in the 1600s, uh, who writes that the reason why the Greeks were able to get some sort of dominance over the Jewish people is because as he calls it, hisrash lubavoda. There was a certain weakening. There was a certain, uh, you know, lack of enthusiasm for Judaism in the general Jewish populace. And the victory of Hanukkah wasn't just by the Maccabees, but the Jewish people as a whole were were, were really, you know, it, the, the the clash with the Greeks was a return to Jewish values that was widespread. And the idea of people just being passionate, of caring about the religion even if they're not necessarily the most advanced, the deepest, the wisest, is something which on a widespread scale can give a strong reattachment to what the essence of Judaism is. We find this actually, that there's a specific note taken in, in, uh, in Jewish law and halacha and in the Jewish tradition for the role of women in the Hanukkah victory. 
It was a custom to eat cheese or dairy foods on, on Hanukkah, brought down in the Shulchan Aruch, because of a story with Yehudis, Yehudit, who was a woman who um, seduced a Greek governor or some sort of Greek official who was uh, you know, very much antagonistic to the Jewish people. She served him a meal of cheese, he got very thirsty. She ended up getting him drunk and killed him and was able to propel the, um, the military kind of actuality of, 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 of the Jewish independence. Uh, there's another story brought down in the Megillah Santiochus, which is an old Jewish book, like the Megillah, like the story of Antiochus, which says that the daughter of Matisio, uh, one of the Maccabees, um, did something very strange. So the Greeks made a law that in certain areas, any Jewish girl that wanted to get married had to spend the night before her wedding with the governor or some sort of Greek official, which would really defile the morality that the Jewish people wanted to maintain. Kind of make like a, you know, sexuality into a very crass thing. You have to pay a tribute to the governor or some official before you get married. And this, so apparently this was, this was unfortunately accepted by, in some circles. And the night before her wedding, there was a, a festive party and this girl started taking off her clothing in front of her family, in front of all the assembled guests at the wedding. And her brothers went crazy, like, what are you doing? She said, I would rather have this shame of being undressed in front of people here that I trust and know than having to do this in front of this, of this uh, you know, Greek official. And that kind of shocked her family into starting the revolution. She's like, you're not respecting how degrading this is to us women. So to make that point, she started taking off her clothing at, at her, at her you know, pre-wedding party and this demonstration really propelled the, her brothers to lead to lead the actual military fight. And her brothers were the were the Hashmanayim Maccabee yeah, people. Exactly. So much so that the Rashbam, this is a grandson of Rashi, one of the one of the commentators on the on the Talmud writes that women get most of the credit for the victory by kind of pushing this. There's a couple incidents that that are mentioned in in, uh, in the Jewish tradition, but I'm sure there are others. Not because they were scholars or wise people, but because they reasserted basic Jewish morality and kind of forced the fight to start. The Rishbam says that women get the credit in the story of Hanukkah as Esther gets the credit in the story of Purim. So not noted for, you know, I mean, for all we know that this girl was was actually a very, a very wise person or a great teacher, but with no indication that that's what she used. It was just as a simple person who, who asserted the moral beauty of the Torah and of Judaism that got this whole thing started. So I think what, I, what, what we're hearing, and I think it's beautiful and so notable for, for today's day and age as it always is, is that it, wisdom is a Jewish value. Wise, or how much content that you know, is sort of outside or almost irrelevant towards the battle or fight of what it means to be a Jew. What you're capable of or however much knowledge you're able to amass is not the point. The point is that wisdom and morality are values that are worth fighting for. And so we see through through these different battles that the, the, this more simple people who value Torah and value morality, that's really the, the, the unsung hero of this holiday where how it connects to all of us because that's something that we value as Jewish people and that ladders up to the morality of God as opposed to Greeks who I, I, bet, would, I bet would argue that grade point averages really do make a difference and that, you know, with, that, you know however high you're going to get in society, that's where it's at because the wisdom is, is, is sort of a, 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 an end in of itself as opposed to a means for us to reach God. Yeah, beautifully said. I want to take your idea and 
push it a little forward. The, there's a really interesting language. So in there's a special prayer inserted into the Shemona Esrei, into the silent prayer, and into the Birchat Amazon, the grace after meals on Hanukkah, which is the al And in that paragraph, there's a very strange sentence. I mean, this is added in during Hanukkah time. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, this is towards the end of the paragraph, uh, and after the story of of, uh, of of Hanukkah, when when the Jews were already victorious, the children, the sons, the 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 kind of the younger generation, uh, entered the temple. They lit the menorah, and then they established Hanukkah as a holiday. So the indication of this line is that the establishment of the holiday didn't come specifically from on high, from the Jewish courts, from the leading rabbis or sages, it the actual establishment of the holiday was, to an extent, a a, a, a grounds root. What's the expression? Um, grassroots. A grassroots, sorry. A grassroots um, uh, kind of movement to, to really get this as a holiday. Now, certainly, and you know, creating a new holiday is something which is going to need the approval of sages, right? We can't just, you know, let's make today, uh, you know. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, there you go. There's technical, you know, laws that have to be met in the creation of a holiday, particularly if you're gonna if you're gonna change the prayers. You know, you're gonna you're gonna need to speak to the to the scholars that know the rules. But there's a clear indication in this additional paragraph that the that it was established in part by the banecha, by the the children, the younger people, the you know perhaps the that kind of that energy that came from the simple people to make this a holiday. And What's really interesting about this, and this is something we've spoken about on our podcasts about rabbinic law, is that there is kind of this duality in establishing halacha and establishing Jewish law that is particularly in rabbinic, uh, in, in, in rabbinic, you know, creations, which Hanukkah is certainly didn't come from Sinai. Um, in that the courts may create the framework, the technical framework for it, but the acceptance comes from the people, the, the, the people, the the people that wish to observe. And this idea of there being a, a kind of an, an unwritten component to active Torah observances coming from the population that wishes to observe is something which is kind of one of these unwritten, like, un, un, like intangible or, or hard to put into a box, but yet very fundamental parts of Judaism. Um, there's a line that Thomas says in Tractate Psachim, Hinachahem uh, Yisrael, Leave the Jewish people. If they are not prophets, they are, the, they are the children of prophets. Essentially, what the Talmud is saying is that there was a question of law, and the rabbis, for a period of time, were unsure as to the source of something. But because it was clear that passionately observant people kept this law, that they assumed it to be valid. Because if they are not prophets, they are the, they are the children of prophets. There's a certain, there's a certain, you know, kind of just authenticity to just regular people who want to do the right thing and are passionate about doing it, that we assume that they're probably doing the right thing. You know, there's the great intellects, but they're sometimes less um, less objective than just good people that want to do the right thing. Yeah, they're in a laboratory. It's not, they're not, they're not down here making it happen, pushing through, fighting. You know, a guy, guy goes to work all day, whatever it is, comes home, make sure to light the candles properly. That, that there's something very powerful about, you know, a, 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 a regular Jew who, and that, this holiday is so popular, so popular. Everybody likes the menorah, you know what I mean? And there's, there's that, there's that idea of the flame. You're staring at it. You, you, you do. You could cry looking at it. It's, it's pretty amazing that that little light, especially when you see the lights, 
just to you know just to bring up Macy's one more time. You see the lights at Macy's, Rockefeller t- Center. Exactly, Rockefeller Center. Even better, Rockefeller Center. Beautiful, and you, it is beautiful by the way. But you have that one candle at home, just that one little candle, and and you could stare at it, and that's the, that's the soul of the Jewish people right there. Yeah. So I'll I'll put this into other words. Give your words uh, some some more kabbalistic uh, you know <laughs> juice. This is a thought from Rav Yitzchak Hutner. He says that the word edus testimony are the same letters as das of wisdom. So we have a court, right? The judges have das. They have knowledge. They have a legal background. They have spent years studying the the, the structure of law. But then we have witnesses who provide edus testimony, which is what we need is the facts we need for the judges to have their das, to have their knowledge. So we have this relationship between the um, the judges and the ada. Ada is the congregation. Same word. So the, the there is a there is a very similar to the word for 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 edus of witnesses. So we have this relationship between these scholars, what we'll call the intellectual elite. Although, as you pointed out, we don't like to use the word elite, um, but certainly we we do have a respect. The for intellectual those. astute. <laughs> astute. There you go. Who have you know the the kind of the knowledge and, and and the facts to to help guide, but we also need the like kind of the pure you know uncomplicated you know devotion to morality that we get in in, in the common folk and the regular people, and combine those two is what, is what we use to create the Jewish people. That is really cool, and this is seen in Hanukkah in the menorah. The, the Talmud describes in Tractate Shabbos that the westernmost lamp of the menorah had the same amount of oil as the other lamps, but it burnt for longer. The, the, the menorah was written, was lit in the temple uh, at, in the beginning of the evening and was supposed to light, supposed to stay lit for the, for the, for the duration of the night. And this westernmost lamp burnt longer than the other one, than the other ones. This was a miracle. And the fact that this burnt until the time, the next evening, 24 hours later, when it was lit again, was a dus, was testimony, that the divine presence rested in Israel. Wow. Now, was that was that happening during the Hanukkah times also, that, that Western miracle? Presumably. I thought because I thought miracles came to like an end at a certain period of time. So and the, the Mishnah tracted of us seems to indicate that there were some miracles that were that were seen in the temple. And presumably so they, even, so these, even in the second temple. these people, they were used to candles lasting longer than they were supposed to last. What's going on over here? We're going from 24 hours to eight days might have been... Another series of, of right. messages, yeah, wow. sure, but but the you know there certainly was a a, a strong spiritual dynamic in, in 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 the place of the temple. But this Western lamp that burns the longest was Western, meaning what? How does this connect to the regular folk? What does that mean? Okay, so the the concept of edus of this being testimony is not the word for das in the sense of a direct concept of knowledge. The menorah, as we pointed out, is a source of das. It, re- it represent, represents the illumination of wisdom. But there's also edus. There's also just testimony that the divine presence rests among Israel in that conversion of das into ada, of knowledge into congregation, into the kind of the knowledge filtering down and seeping down into just the, the makeup of the regular, of the normal, of the non-elite Jew, which is the fundamental base of Judaism. And from that often is the springboard for action when the morality of the Jewish people is being tampered with is, is being assaulted and the intellectuals are kind of just being too intellectual about this and we have these simple people we have we have Yehudis we have the 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 daughter of Matisio who are the ones that really reassert like no don't look for technical compromises our essence is being harmed we we feel this we have this like you know just direct connection to what it is to be a Jewish person and we we do not want to tolerate this 
Wow. So and this is really a lot of times where the reassertion of Judaism comes from. It's from the regular people. Right. It's, it's not might makes right, and it's not bright makes right. It's right makes right. There you go. Those people that, those Yiddish mamas from, you know, history, they're always going to stand up for their people. And that's where things come from. So we look at the candles and we, pff, amazing stuff. I don't know a lot of that stuff. All right, we try. We try. <laughs> try to come up with some cool stuff. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs>